This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Luke 2, 8-20 And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. One of the great things about Advent is family reunions and getting to see family members that uh, come in either for Thanksgiving or for Christmas and uh, getting to meet people's parents or uh, brothers or sisters or other family members that come from outside of Alaska. Uh, it is great to get reacquainted and to see you all again. I uh, want to take time here in the beginning to remind you about our Christmas Eve services. Uh, do you have your worship guides with you? Inside you'll find uh, this invitation. Uh, you'll see that we have children's nativity services at 3 and 4.30. The children come dressed as shepherds, angels, Mary, Joseph, wise men, farm animals. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great children's service. And we're also going to be having uh, our living nativity with live animals back in the gym. So you want to come for that. And of course, you don't want to forget the candlelight Christmas Eve services at 7 and 9. And so I want to invite all of you uh, to those. Next, um, as most of you may be aware, uh, there was a fire uh, at First Covenant Church in Anchorage. And I want to give you a report on that. Um, the, the very front of the sanctuary was damaged. Uh, the fire burned through the roof and along the side of the building. But the rest of the sanctuary and the rest of the building is still usable. In fact, Pastor Max wanted me to pass on to our congregation his heartfelt and sincere appreciation for all of your prayers and for offers of help um, the good news is uh, that Mike Foster, who helped us when we had our flood and ceiling collapse a few weeks ago, 
uh, here with us, He is helping them. And my understanding is that their sanctuary has been buttoned up. It's been cleaned up. There's going to be ongoing repair. But they're meeting this morning inside their church building. Isn't that great? So, keep them in your prayers. Uh, This, as you know, can be uh, very difficult for a congregation. And yet, we have every indication that God is at work. And He's drawing them together in the midst of all of this. And so that's a good thing. Well, today is the last of a four-week series that we've been in during Advent called The Advent Conspiracy. And when we talk about the Advent Conspiracy, we're using the word conspiracy not with a negative connotation, but in the sense of people gathering together, working towards a common goal, working towards an objective. And and what it is that we have wanted to work together in this Christmas is to align our priorities with those of God. We want to be in line uh, with His heart for the world, with His heart for people. And here at Community Covenant Church, what we're declaring is we want to do Christmas differently. We want to keep Christ in the forefront. And we, we truly want to follow Him into the world as His followers to make a difference. And the way we do that is by making His priorities our priorities. And so, that's what we're talking about. Um, I want to show you a, a video. We've been talking about uh, Blue Christmas. And we have been joining with Covenant World Relief in helping to provide clean water to places in the world uh, where uh, people would go without. And so, uh, as we do that, that's aligning ourselves with Christ's priorities in the world. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus is the living water, and we who celebrate His birth can give the gift of water in the name of the One who is the living water uh, to people who are in desperate need. And and I'm so happy to say that our denomination uh, is doing that and that we have the opportunity to join in with that. And so, if we could show that video. What can I do to help change the world? Consider this. Americans spend about $450 billion on Christmas every year. Every year. To bring clean water to the entire world would cost about $10 billion. That's just 2% of what Americans spend on Christmas every single year. If our country decided to, we could completely eliminate the need for clean water. No one would ever have to worry about it again. But that doesn't answer the question. What can I do to change the world? It helps to cut these numbers down. Americans spend $450 billion on Christmas every year. That's about $1,500 per person. It would take $10 billion to bring clean water to the whole world. That's about $31 per person. That's it. So I leave you with a question. What will you do to help change the world? Catherine Bistadu. Isn't she wonderful? 
I'm telling you, yeah. Don't be surprised if you see her on one of our network news uh, stations here soon. She did a great job. Well, as I said before, Covenant World Relief is providing water uh, in the name of the one who is the living water. And we have an opportunity to join them in that. Their initial goal was $150,000. Uh, 127000 of that was raised at the Chick Conference where youth from Covenant churches all over the United States came and they gave out of their own pockets. And so you can see that gap between the 127000 and the 150000 isn't very wide. And so Covenant churches around the country are helping to close that gap. You can do that uh, by going to our website and seeing the link to Covenant World Relief. And you can go right there and you can make a donation uh, towards their uh, Project Blue, their clean water project. And uh, as you do that... We'll have a very, very blue Christmas, okay? So, we started our series by wanting to conspire to worship fully. Do you remember that? That seems so long ago as we were just coming out of Thanksgiving and preparing uh, for Christmas. And in that, we looked at Mary and Joseph. And if we're going to worship fully... It's more than just showing up on Sunday morning. It's more than showing up on Christmas Eve. More than showing up on a, on a holiday, right? They give us an example of how God works through human agency. That He takes people like you and me. People who would otherwise perhaps be looked upon as being nothing special, kind of ordinary, right? Uh, living their lives in the context of the world in which God has placed them. And suddenly, there's a divine interruption. And suddenly, God tasks people with becoming a part of His much larger narrative, His plan for the world. And here were Mary and Joseph, you might recall. And in the midst of a, of a courtship, of a betrothal, God says, you, you, are going to be a part of my plan for the salvation of men and women. Those whom I love, those whom I care for, those who have been separated from me uh, because of sin. Yes, you, Mary and Joseph, are going to be part of my plan of redemption to reconcile those who have been separated from me. And in order for them to do that, they had to give their lives fully. And their lives were literally an act of worship, weren't they? Uh, it was hard. It was difficult. It was inconvenient. And yet, they were willing to give their whole selves away to the work of the Lord, to be a part of His grand plan for our world. And so, when we talk about worshiping fully, it means giving our very lives as a, as a sacrifice, as an act of worship. Uh, even when it's inconvenient or might be difficult, even when it may interrupt our plans, that we get to be a part of God's plan. And so we learn that. If we want to worship fully, we give our lives fully to the Lord. All of our lives. Uh, then we talked about spending wisely. Spending wisely. And we contrasted uh, King Herod uh, to the Magi or to the wise men. And how King Herod was all about investing his resources in the building up of his kingdom. You see, he was king. Uh, he wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted people to worship 
or bow down to Him as King and to kneel under His authority. And then you have the Magi. They, they came from the East. Scholars believe that that would be a modern-day Iran. And as they came, these were learned men. They were cultured men. They were men of substance. These were men that sat in the courts of kings and oftentimes advised kings. And when kings were replaced, they often gave counsel about who the next king would be. These men who were skilled in uh, astronomy, and in those days, astronomy and astrology, okay, uh, were uh, intermingled. Uh, they were skilled in uh, magic arts or the occult. Uh, they knew um, languages. These guys, uh, they were sharp and they represented a group that, that had resources. And they came in search of the one who was to be king of the Jews. Do you remember that? And they brought gifts. The gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and as they gave these gifts, they bowed down. And, and what we learn here in Matthew's Gospel, that in Matthew's Gospel, which is written to primarily a Jewish audience, Jewish readers, we find non-Jews who come and worship the Messiah. And really, it... It is a statement that the gospel will be for people of all nations, of all ethnicities, uh, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile as well. And, and we see that. But as we contrast the Magi to Herod, we see that the Magi were using their resources wisely. They invested their resources in the building of God's kingdom. And they gave gifts to the King, King Jesus, that, that child. And those gifts, ultimately, scholars believe, were used to, to help support Mary and Joseph as they fled Herod's tyranny and they went for a time into exile into Egypt. And so we see that contrast of spending wisely. And spending wisely really means understanding that everything we have is a gift from God. It all belongs to Him. And that we don't have ownership of those things. That we have stewardship. And in stewardship, God calls us to invest what He's given us wisely, to spend wisely in His kingdom work. And of course, the invitation to participate in Project Blue and to give water to those who are in need. That's an expression of that. Uh, No one needs another ugly Christmas sweater. Right? But people do need clean water. And for the amount you'd spend on an ugly Christmas sweater, you could make a donation in the gift of clean water. Okay? So that's spending wisely. Uh, and then we talked about giving more. And then we think about giving more, you say, well, wait a minute. I can't give any more than I'm already giving. My budget's tight. It's maxed out. Besides, I listen to Dave Ramsey and he says, stay out of debt. Right? Well, when we say give more and we conspire to give more, it, uh, it's not what you think. When we talk about giving more, we think of the incarnation. For God became flesh and dwelt among us. That uh, Jesus Christ 
was the very incarnation, right? Of God. Fully God, fully human. That God loved the world that He gave. And what did He give? He gave Himself. He gave Himself. Right? And that's whose birth we celebrate at Advent. It's Jesus. And so when we think about giving more, what we're talking about is giving more of ourselves. Giving ourselves away to be present in the lives of others. To, to live incarnationally. To enter people's worlds. To enter their situations. Their circumstances. And to meet them at eye level. And to be present in their lives. And to allow God to use us to minister, to care, to love them. Do you see that? That's what it means to give more. To give more of yourself in presence in the lives of others. And isn't it something that at Advent, when families and friends gather around for a meal, how oftentimes there's estrangement. There's people sitting in opposite ends of the room. Uh, there are people engaged in different activities. And, and when the opportunity comes to give yourself and to just be present, there's separation and isolation, even though there's a room full of people ostensibly celebrating the birth of our Savior. And so the challenge for us, even in our celebration of Advent, is that we would be present, that we would make effort to be available with those that God gathers around us. We can give more of ourselves. And then today, we're talking about conspiring to love all. Conspiring to love all. Now remember, when we talked about spending wisely, we contrasted Herod with the Magi and how they used their resources differently. They invested in the kingdom. And again, in Matthew's Gospel, it begins with this idea that non-Jews came to worship the Jewish king, the Messiah, who was also to be the king of the world, right? In Luke's Gospel, we see something a little bit different in his birth narrative. While the Magi came, they were men of means and men of substance, they had material possessions that they could give to Jesus, right? We find God announcing the birth of His Son to a group of shepherds. Now, if a person was going to write a story about God entering the world... And he wanted to, to make the story one that was believable, one that would seem to uh, have those involved as reliable witnesses. He wouldn't have had shepherds be the first persons that the angels would come and announce the birth of the Savior of the world to. Let me tell you why. You see, in this time... Uh, shepherds were a lower caste of people. Uh, they were lowly. Uh, they were outcast. Uh, they were looked down upon. They, they provided an essential function, but the nature of their work, oftentimes nomadic, and uh, the 
the dirt and the hanging out with sheep and, and all those things made them ceremonially unclean to where they couldn't even go and worship. So they were, they were separated. They were isolated. Uh, they were uh, not able to worship. And, and here, ironically, who does God choose to announce the birth of Jesus to? It, it, it's not to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Right? He doesn't go to them. It, it's not to the wealthy uh, not to the upper crust of Jerusalem society, who does he announce it to? The shepherds. The lowly. Now, he announces it to them, and, and they're to go in there to see where Jesus is born. They're to witness that for themselves. Why? So they can be witnesses to others. And a, an essential part of the shepherd's role is that they're going to what? Be witnesses. They're going to share the good news. But again, in this culture, shepherds were forbidden to testifying in the law courts of their day. Right? So if you're going to pick people to testify to the birth of the Savior, would you pick those who were forbidden to testifying in, in courts of law of that time? Of course not. And so as you read this story, it, you have to say, if somebody wanted to make this up, they wouldn't have written it this way. Okay? In fact, it's the way it's written that testifies to its reliability. But as we think about that, as we, we think about God through the angels announcing uh, to the shepherds the birth of the Savior, we think about God in Luke's Gospel, as Luke writes, and as, as the Lord inspires His writing through the Holy Spirit, that there's a message here. Just as in Matthew's Gospel, the message is, hey, non-Jews of substance come and they, they worship Jesus in the Magi. Here we find those who would have been Jewish. They would have provided the essential role of being a shepherd. And they, the lowly, are selected. And so you see in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, uh, a contrast, but in that contrast, you see that the gospel is for the up and out, and the gospel is for the down and out. It's for all people. Now, when it talks about it's good news for those in whom God's favor rests, uh, that word favor really speaks about uh, God's pleasure. That God had chosen whom He would reveal this to. That, that God makes His favor available to those who are open, who are trusting, and who are accepting. And that particular word is used only two other times in uh, Matthew or Luke or even Mark's Gospel. And in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, that word favor is used in association with God giving, what? To the little children. Showing His favor to children. To those who are trusting. To those who are accepting. To those who are in need of care. And so we see that word here. Upon whom God's favor rests. And uh, again, here are the lowly ones. 
the shepherds. They would be the one whom in this instant would experience God's favor. And so the question is, as we think of the gospel and we think of our Advent conspiracy today conspiring to love all, we see that the Lord in the birth announcement to the shepherds is demonstrating His heart of love for who? For all. Even the lowliest in Jewish society. And of course, I don't think it's uh, any accident that the lowly shepherds would be led to witness and, and to see the birth of the one who is the good shepherd, the one who was heir to the throne of David, who also was a shepherd, and whose role as the good shepherd would be to care for the God's flock, His people. And not only that, during this time, the shepherds that were in about the area of Jerusalem and Bethlehem, the sheep that they were raising, many scholars believe, were, were sheep that were being raised specifically for sacrifice. And so here are these shepherds going to the one who's the good shepherd, but also the one who's the very Lamb of God. The one who would be raised up without blemish or spot so that He could be the sacrifice. That He would die for your sin and mine. And so we see this in the story, but as we think about God loving all, the question I have is, how good are we at loving all? In my story of the Christmas narrative, I would have chosen the religious people to be the first ones to hear the news. The, the, uh, the, the, the people that are in, not out. That's how I might have written it. Why? Because maybe I consider myself in that cast and, and maybe I would consider that the good news should be first and foremost for people like me. And when I maintain that attitude, it's an attitude of exclusion. What about people that aren't like me? What about people from a, a different social caste or from a different place? Isn't the Gospel just as much for them as it is me? Well, of course it is. But then, why do we sometimes have difficulty loving people that aren't like us, that are different from us, that aren't from where we're from, or work where we work, or live where we live? Or even in the context of that, why do we have difficulty loving people who just are different, even in our own context. In order to love all, I think there are three things we need to do. Three things, if we're going to love all. The first is that we need to see our own brokenness in the brokenness of others. You know, oftentimes the thing that keeps me from loving someone else is their brokenness. Not everybody's lovable, are they? And yet, it's that brokenness or that fear of that brokenness that keeps me from stepping forward, that keeps me from entering into that relationship. 
But if I'm going to love all, what I need to be able to do is in the brokenness or in the lowly state of others, I need to be able to pause and take a look and see my own brokenness. See that I'm just as much in need of a Savior. And so are they. And then in that place, we have common ground. Uh, I remember when Lori and I were, were working with Prison Fellowship, there was a ministry called Angel Tree. And it was to provide Christmas gifts to children of inmates at Christmas time. And those gifts would be provided by local churches and delivered to the, the child in the name of the incarcerated parent. Uh, of course, there's a, a story of one little boy as a volunteer from the local church wanted to deliver the gift. Uh, he he opened it up and the first thing he says, I knew my daddy wouldn't forget me at Christmas. Okay? That's very heartwarming, isn't it? Well, we had 1,200 kids that were recipients. They each were to get two two gifts. That's 2,400 gifts. And uh, we had a, a very shortage of, of churches and church volunteers in those early days of that ministry. And Lori was calling around and she was asking churches to participate. And she got a hold of one church leader. And this is what the leader said. If those inmates want their kids to have gifts at Christmas time, give them blocks of wood and let them make their own. Okay? That's kind of like, you know, Scrooge. Anyone with Merry Christmas on their lips should be boiled in their own plum pudding with a steak of holly in their heart. All right? Well, that was the attitude. And Lori said, well, well, what about the children? They didn't do anything wrong. Don't you want to help provide for the children? And the person replied, well, that's on the parents, not us. They should have thought about that before they committed a crime and went to jail. Okay? The inability to identify with brokenness. The, the inability to say, you know what? Uh, I've sinned in my life. I've been estranged from God. Um, the inability to identify with the plight of others and, and even in the worst cases, see a bit of yourself there and understand that you've been a recipient of God's grace. You know what the Bible says in, in Romans 3.23? It says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I love the way the Apostle Paul identifies himself with brokenness. And if there was a man who could have uh, boasted, he chose not to. Instead, he, he chose to recognize his need, his deep need for a Savior. And this is what he says in his letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service, even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He was able to identify with the brokenness of others by recognizing His own brokenness in that common place in which all of us need God's grace. All of us need to be recipients of His mercy. Well, the second thing is, 
If we're going to love all, we can't wait for others to love us first. We need to love first. Isn't that the the story of the Gospel? For God so loved the world. We need to initiate love. Um, 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 10. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 through 10. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Okay? We need to initiate love if we're going to love all. Uh, there's a, a woman who has a, a blog or a, 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 and then she has a, a, a web uh, thing that she produces. And she's a Christian woman. And at the very end of her, um, her video, she closes it by saying this. She says, I love you all out there. Whether you want me to or not. She says, I love you whether you like it or not. I'm going to love you. And I just think that's a a beautiful illustration. A beautiful illustration. And of course, as I think of that, as I think of initiating love, I think of a story I told you maybe last Advent or, or the one before that. A volunteer work I was doing at a home for abused and neglected children. There was a little boy on the playground sitting by himself on a bench near the basketball courts. He had a very distinct cast on his arm. As I walked out and asked him if he wanted to play basketball, the first thing he asked me is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I sat down on the bench and I told him I did. I cared for him and that's why I was there and I I wanted to to play basketball if he did. But as I thought about that conversation, there are a lot of people asking that same question, but they're not children so they don't have the boldness to ask you the way he did. And so how important is it that if we're going to love all, we need to initiate that our actions... And our words and our lives make a statement that, yes, I love you. You don't have to ask. My life speaks to you that I love you and I care. So the first thing is we, we need to see our own brokenness and the brokenness of others. We need to love first. We need to initiate. And then finally, we need to experience Christ's presence by being present with those 
who are marginalized. Those who are on the outside looking in. The shepherds of our world. Do you know we experience Christ's presence when we're present with the lowly, with the outcast, with the marginalized? And you don't have to leave your own neighborhood or your workplace to do that. There are people all around. There are people in here this morning that that feel like they're on the outside looking in. They're off on their own. They feel isolated and separated. Yes, even in a church. But we can experience the presence of Christ by being present and more available. By loving all, by showing up for those who feel like they're on the outside looking in. And by inviting them into our lives. There was a situation um, just before Thanksgiving of a, of a person who has been associated with our church who has developmental disabilities. They're uh, a middle-aged person. Often overlooked. Doesn't really fit socially. Passed by. Not spoken to very often. And, and this person wanted to meet for a cup of coffee with me. So Lori and I met with this person and over at Jitters, we're having a cup of coffee and and just talking, just relating. And Lori noticed that that she wasn't drinking her beverage. And and we kept encouraging her to, hey, drink your beverage, drink your beverage. And and, and she said, oh, I know, I know, but but she didn't want to drink it. And, And then suddenly I realized what was going on. That she knew or thought in her heart that when her beverage was finished, that our time together would end. And she didn't want it to end. Because it meant something to her. It was meaningful to her. And it was in the midst of that when that realization came. And as I was talking with her, there was something really beautiful. Um, I went there thinking I had something to give to her. But you know what I realized? That God had something very important to give to me. And in that moment, I looked at her and I experienced the presence of Jesus. And it was powerful. In a very unexpected way. And so we learn to give ourselves and to be present with those who are marginalized, those who are the shepherds in our world. And and I think of Matthew 25, you know, the separation of the sheep from the goats. And Jesus said, I was sick, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was in prison. Right? And uh, the answer is, well, when were you all those things? And He says this, He says, His... As much as you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, so you do to me. And so it is no wonder that in that magical moment at Jitters that I would experience His presence in a profound way. And God had something very special to give me. So, on this last Sunday of Advent, 
The invitation is to love all. To engage the shepherds of our world. Not just to identify with the Magi, but to identify with the shepherds and to know, to know that in the Gospel, there's a very clear invitation to both. And if we're going to love all, if we're going to be imitators of Christ Jesus, then our heart has to be inclined to love both and to engage people in our world to identify with their brokenness and see our own. Not to wait to be loved, but to love first, to initiate. And then finally, to experience the presence of Jesus. By inviting the marginalized into our own lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. For the gift of your son, Jesus, and how we see clearly in Scripture that he was a gift, Lord, for all, not just for the down and out, but for the up and out as well. For all of us who, Lord, have been separated from you because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our desire to live our lives our own way apart from you. And Father, in the Advent story, whether it be with King Herod or the Magi or the shepherds or Mary and Joseph, Father, open our hearts to see ourselves in all those people and to ask You, Father, where You want us to grow, how You want us to live. Father, where we can worship fully, where we can spend wisely, how we can give more. And Lord, help us. Help us. To love all. And as you do this, Father, we will celebrate that at Community Covenant Church, Advent 2015, we conspired to live with your priorities in mind. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.